Hello and welcome to another instalment of Inside Real Estate. Today we're here with Craig Parker from Shire Build. We're going to go through all things building, knock down rebuilds, renovations, and we're going to try and sort of hack into what some of the common myths, maybe some of the mistakes that are out there, find out a little bit more about what's involved in building and renovating your home. So Craig, firstly, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. And Craig, tell me, Shire Build, where did, where did the name come from? Um, I've basically lived in the Shire for my whole life. Uh, so started out in carpentry and worked my way up to being a supervisor and then eventually I was being asked by friends and family to um, see if I could help them out of the house doing a deck or a pergola or moving some walls so started doing that on the side eventually um, started getting larger jobs and then just moved into starting my whole business um, and going out full-time and thought I love the Shire, I like to work in the Shire and keep it local. So 15 years you've been doing this, you started from I guess that really grassroots and you've really you know, cut your teeth on bigger and bigger projects and what would you say your most common project is today? Most common projects are major extensions, either a first floor addition out the back or a combination of the two. That's our, that's our sort of core um, works and then we go down to do decks and pergolas and bathrooms, laundry renovations, kitchens and then we'll also do new homes. And we'll, we'll do a bit of everything. We don't want to just say we just do one thing and we don't do the other. We try and get all the different subcontractors in so that we can offer a full service package. One of the questions um, I'd love to ask is, what would you say the most common mistake your average consumer, when they say, let's say doing a renovation, yep. and thinking about changing a home significantly, say like in our industry, they've, they've purchased a home yep. and they want to change it, uh, and they're thinking about adding that to it, what would be your, your most common mistake that, that people make? Most common mistake is that people have gone and done all the plans and got everything through council and come out the other side, then they've asked me to come and do a quote. And at that point, their budget may not reflect what it actually is to build. And then I will quote and other builders will quote and we're way over their budget and they've already spent money on engineers, architectural fees, um, a whole bunch of pain and stress in going through council that didn't really touch point on what the costs are going to be and they use the architect to use as a sounding board for price, which I believe is uh, not a great move. Okay. They can put you in a ballpark, but I think they need to speak to a builder first. Okay, so what you're saying is as, as a common thing that they should do, someone should really reach out and have a chat to a builder like yourself first. They need to make um, contact. They need to make contact. I'm not gonna come out and quote their whole house when they've just come up with a quick idea on a napkin over dinner one night. They need to have some sort of um, idea of what they want, a wish list. I always ask, what's your wish list? And what can you stage to a later, a later sort of time of works if need be? But by having a wish list and an absolute bare minimum of we need a bathroom, we need a new kitchen and a bedroom, and it would be nice to have on the rumpus room, then I can work with that and we can work with a budget. And then if they need to do renovations, I can point them in the right direction of an architect, an engineer, those people I trust and use all the time, so they're not gonna you know, design the Harbour Bridge for them. It's gonna be what they need to a, to a budget for mums and dads in the Shire. And then from there, I can guide them along the path to getting a design as much as I can to what they want to suit their budget. But um, we do have to always work with the budget. So I do try and get a bit of a guide of what their budget is, just so that I can point them in the right direction and then okay. they can make the best moves from there. So straight out of the block, someone's bought that house you would suggest step one, maybe, what are the top few steps you would say first to summarise on what we just talked about then? Yeah. yeah, first step is to understand their house, know what it is in the different climates, uh, the different seasons and understand if they're going to put a back pergola on, how big does it need to be? Where does the sun come in? What's, where are they going to get hammered with the westerly sun? What's, what's the best um, solution for that? To understand um, 
what it is that they need in their own house. They, they like the flow. Could they have a hallway in a different location that might free up the whole, the whole house? Do they want to have living quarters and bedrooms at one end and then the other end is the entertaining and the kitchens, dinings, lantern? Everybody wants the big open back extension um, with the kitchen and the dining. That seems to be what everybody wants. It's a very trending floor plan, really, isn't it? And, it's, so, and it's, yeah. it just works. It's you, you can't, you can't, you can't yeah. go wrong yeah. with it. So yeah. I, I typically push a bit of the outdoor as well. I'll say moving through from your kitchen, your dining out to the, to the barbecue and the kitchen area and the, like an outdoor kitchen and what's, what's, what's your flow? And I try and work with people on that. Just give them some ideas. So if they think about that before they come to me, and have some idea of what it is, what type of kitchens they want and the looks and have some sort of knowledge, not just call me up and say, I'd like to do a renovation, can you come and quote? It just, okay. I need more info to start with. So and I need a maybe a bit of a mud map and a bit of a sketch, a bit of an idea list yep. of sort of the flow or where they think yep. they want things. Photos, rough Instagram photos yep. of different things. Yep. Don't necessarily go to the block and pick, pick all of the sure. higher end stuff that yep. you've got, you've got really high end um, stuff, but just nice, easy yep. kitchens, bathrooms, yep floor plans, photos, just a bit of collage, okay. and a price. You need to know roughly what you're prepared to spend, okay. and I can work with them on that. Okay, so they've now, so someone's got together, they've drawn some things up, they've got a bit of an idea what they think they want, they've got yep. a bit of an idea on price that they're hoping to spend. Yep. Is that about when they should engage a builder to come out and have a chat about that then? That's the next thing? Yeah, the next yep. thing is what we call a feasibility estimate. So the feasibility estimate is me as a building consultant would come to their house, spend an hour with them, hour and a half, go through the house, go through their designs, what it is that they'd like. I throw some ideas out, see if, they, if I think there could be a better way of doing it, and then point them in the direction of an architect. And uh, I don't bother going down the engineer's path, I, I go to an architect first and try and get um, that ball rolling of design. But I will, in the initial stages, I'll do that meeting and then I'll do a feasibility estimate on a spreadsheet and I'll just put it down into a point form of what it is that they're requesting, bedroom, bathroom, kitchen, back deck, and if there's a square, if there's an extension out the back, it'll be a square meters of X amount of space. I'll look at the house, what type of house, brick veneer, timber clad, uh, something different, and then I'll put a rough square meter rate to it and give them something, something in the ballpark of where they're heading. Yep. And then they can make an informed choice of whether or not to add on the rumpus room and the garage and the other works, or peel it back just to uh, just to a simplified version, yep. and then they know that they can do those other things down okay. the track. So by doing that as well, I guess if they've got that, there's always that ability to to you know go a little bit further, like you said, or maybe even do it in stages if they realise budget's yeah. starting to get out of control at that point. Even stages is probably the key thing that I would recommend to clients if they don't have the budget now, then to find what it is that they can afford and what's most important. And what do I believe? I'll give them advice and what I think is easier to stage and add on later. Sometimes I think when it comes to structural builds, it's better to get the structure done first and leave the linen press and the wardrobe. You can fit that out yeah. later. Leave the back deck for the yeah. moment. Just do the, the pergola structure over the top and you can always do a concrete slab or something down the track. So I try and find ways to work with their budget to get their best bang for their buck when they're using me for structural stuff. And then they can always get their own, they might have a cousin or an uncle or somebody who does decks, great. They can mm -hmm. go to do their, it's not gonna be a big council requirement. The structural stuff is where yeah. they need my expertise. And I'm happy to pass off stuff that's not, you know, carpets and blinds and things like that. They don't need me to put those in so they can get those things done on themselves. And long-term, as you said, I guess if, if someone's worked out that stage process, then how you do stage one might have a slight reflect on the build so yeah. that stage two is an easier add-on rather than, going three steps forwards, two steps backwards to then go forwards again. So yep. just having that, that plan in place is the what plans, you're The yep. plan's really key for when it goes to council. 
you don't want to be doing one council plan for stage one and then council plan for stage two. Right. You want to get a master yeah. plan done and get it all approved in one hit. You've only got one set of fees, architectural engineers. You can then stage your construction for as long as you want. So and once is it true once it, DA has been approved, yep. then there's as long as you start construction, is that right? Yep. Then then you've got no time limit on when you finish. No time limit to finish. But you do need to start. Do need to start, and yeah. it is better if you can to go for a master plan. If you think over ten years, I want to ex I want to have this type of house. Yeah, right. Stage one is this, two is that, three is that. You know you've got it all approved in one set of plans, okay. and you don't have to worry about having to go back to council. You can get little minor uh, modifications done. It's called a section ninety six, and it's a modification to an approved set of plans. So if you decide to put a window in, in a kitchen splashback and you go, I want to put a kitchen window there because I, I don't want to see a wall anymore. You can add the little things in, but if you um, want to make major changes, you may have to go back to council. And quite often you hear, you know, renovations been done to a house where they didn't get council approval. Now we yep. know in real estate, obviously buyers find that quite concerning, yep. especially with solicitors asking, has it been yep. council approved? And if there's no record of it, it can have a reflect on what the buyer feels about the property's worth. So yep. as you're saying, involving the council, doing all the necessary steps, yep. you know, long-term, you know, is Adds value to their place 100%. because they've done it all right. Yep. They're yep. not gonna have those questions if they didn't, if they bent the rules and then when they get a site sell in yeah. five years time, there's something that's been added on, then they get stuck with a potential yeah. question. And they don't have to go ahead with everything anyway. I guess getting approved the whole the whole mm. sort of uh, process is better and then yep. doing, doing it in stages or not doing it all is totally up to them. Yep. Okay, great. And so you'd say the next step is after they've engaged you, you've gone through those those ideas you know, and the difference between say an architect and a draftsman, is there a... Good question. So um, most people call it architect, but the drafts, the, generally most guys are draftsmen. Architects more into the commercial space high-end new homes. They've, got, they've gone and done a uni degree and they've got, they generally charge a lot more. Um, they might have uh, programs that, and extra overheads that you don't necessarily need. Draftsmen are generally fine. There might be a one or two, two sort of man team or a person team, um, and they, they do sufficient job for your, your standard residential new homes and renovations. So architect is the word you'd use, but draftsmen, is, they're, they're equally qualified for doing residential work. I guess like we have in real estate with solicitors and conveyances. Yep. yep. So ultimately on top of that, I think the you know, using, would using a local draftsman or architect to have some advantage, because we all know councils all vary Definitely. from council to council, they have different rules. Yep. Um, so dealing with each council, knowing what its rules are, that's obviously probably a pretty important thing to understand. I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, you, there's no point going and get a North Shore architect or a draftsman to come and do, do the Shire. Uh, it just, the rules are different, the taste in, in the build and the structure is different. So you've got to find the area and the type of build that you like. Um, obviously you go and look at some places that you've liked the look of and then you take that to the architect as well. The same, the same um, sort of portfolio of photos and Insta Instagram shots you've got that you would go, come to me with, you take the same photos to the draftsman and then he can start to get a feel for what taste it is, what sort of uh, look you're going for and design the house to suit hopefully that budget. And, and yeah, I would think somebody of the local council area is going to have a quicker, um, a quicker process to get it through council or a complying development. And you mentioned complying developments, that's a good question there is mm. that Obviously there's what they call DA, yep. and there's all compliant development. So compliant development is basically submitting something that's within the rules of the council already. Yes. Which means it's approved much, much faster. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost that. It's actually a state government um, system. So it actually bypasses all the councils. State, um, state government have listed a checklist, and as long as you approve all of those checklist points, heights, widths, setback from the street, 
neighbor shadowing, overshadowing, um, a, a bunch of standard sort of things that they want. As long as you do all of those and you tick all the boxes, you actually bypass council other than you've got to do a three-week neighbour notification. So you still have to have your plans sent to your neighbours so they know what's happening, but they don't have too much of a say on it because it's already pre-approved and it's about a three to four-week approval process. Uh, DA or development application is typically three months, maybe four. They're trying to speed things up, but it's, it's a bit of a gamble of who you get. You're subject to a person who's um, in council. What mood they're in that day, it's just not quite clear-cut. You can have really hard assessors um, so I think the CDC is better if you can for a complying development certificate, yep. if you can, and you have to get that through a PCA. So a PCA is a private certifying authority mm -hmm. um, and they certify that the works are being done and everything's being done to that checklist from the, from okay. the state. We might just pause there for a second. So ultimately what you're saying yep. is that you've, just, you've found a builder, found an architect, they've drawn yep. up the plans, we've now got a building that we like to do. It's still you know, quote-wise, at this point, you've quoted it back and we've got a summary of a price of where we're sitting and now we're hiring a private certifier to then submit to council to mid, yeah. with the with the compliant development. Their role is to basically be the paper pusher between the client and the council. Okay. Yep. So they, they the council are too busy just trying to get through their DA, so they need um, private certifiers to fast-track all the paperwork, all of the real, the red tape to get through and make sure that the builder and the client is getting everything done ready to comply. And they're checking to make sure you've got the right licenses, licenses. and all sorts of things there as well. So yep. it's really just, okay, perfect, someone that's actually submitting it yep. accurately. From that point on, obviously, if they get permission, if it was CDC, that yep. they can move ahead and then you can start factoring in when you would start the works, is that right? So what they need to do, so we've got the initial contact mm -hmm. and we, we, we touch on and we do a feasibility estimate. They then um, go away and get some, some plans done. They speak to the architect, yep. knowing that their budget is going to suit their budget and they've got their wish list and they've got a bit of a, a feel for what it's going to cost with me. Yep. Um, then they go away and they get their plans done. Before they, um, they need to then engage me to do a full quote. So once I've got the plans back, the plans will stipulate potential change. You might need to do some privacy screens. You might need to lower the height of a wall or change things. So I, I actually do a full quote um, off some stamped plans. I don't yes. quote on pre-stamped plans because there's going to be changes. Yep. I do an estimate just to help them guide them into a, a, a rough area. Once they've gone and got their plans done based on the yep. accepting those rough um, Yeah, like parks. you said, there could be a retaining wall that needed to be added or something like that. Yeah, so, there's yeah, always like, things yep. that sometimes come up. Yep. There's also another thing which is basics, which um, you might want to touch on as well, but there's basics requirements, there's bushfire requirements, and I can't really quote the job properly until all of those have come together, and that can only come together once it's gone through the council or the CDC process. So explain basics for us. So BASICS is um, a thermal and energy um, and water efficiency. Um, the, it basically wants, it's a checklist that all uh, clients, all houses, all building structures comply with um, what we call low E glass, which means that the glass re reflects the heat or reduces how much heat gain is into a house. So the heat doesn't, the house doesn't heat up and everybody turns their air cons on. They're trying to reduce the power um, pull out from power energy systems mm -hmm. by having a more uh, environmentally friendly house that it's thermal, acoustic um, and water um, smart. Yeah, for example, like houses now have uh, tanks on the side of the houses yep. and they obviously use some of that, that water to flush toilets flush and toilets. things like that. Um, you've got your LED lighting now. Yep. Um, so what you're saying is there's a bunch of laws around making homes more efficient. Yep. Uh, and any application needs to adhere to those minimum standards. There's a minimum standard yep. that the, the architect or the draftsman, when they do their council, when they do their drawings, they have to 
um, also do a checklist box based on that specific house. There's a checklist and it actually requires them to get to a minimum level, which provides, it's either across, if they just can't get to that, to keep modifying the plans, insulation windows, aircon, solar, water, whatever it is, they've got to keep going at it until they get a tick. Once you've done the ticks, I then have to build to that list. Right. And I've got to add those things into my quote, which may or may not have come up during the initial feasibility report or the estimate but at least I, I've got it there and I can actually quote it. Fantastic. So they've gone and got yeah. all that done. So now we're through council, we've got all our, our stamp plans, you've done a proper quote. Yeah. Um, next step? So proper quote. So um, the quote, I do have to come back out and do another site visit. I, hope I now have a set of plans that's got a stamp on it and I can actually measure things as a ruler. I can run a, a ruler over everything and actually see what it is that they're building. Did they actually increase the size of the house while, we were, while they were with the architect? While we're here, actually, let's just add on that extra. So my price may be different, my feasibility to the actual quote because they've changed things during the design phase. And, which and is, everyone's thinking it's going up, but it could or she get It could go down. Yeah. If they cut yeah. stuff off, great. Yeah. If they yeah. simplify it, great. If they yeah. go from a brick veneer structure to a timber cladded house, no problems. I'm happy to lower it. It's yeah. not, it's, I just price yeah. what it is in front of me. Yeah. So I can only estimate on what information I've got as a ballpark. Yeah. When it actually comes through with a full design um, drawing, that's when I can get specific with my quoting right down to every last nail and, and, um, and screw and, and everything. It just yeah, gets, it gets properly really quoted wants, up. Don't they? So, yeah. so then we do a detailed quote and we send it back and submit it. Normally it takes three to four weeks to get a detailed quote back. There's a lot goes into it. I don't want to be sending through the next day a one-pager saying, Here's your price, half a million dollars, yes or no. Cancel the roof, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got to be detailed. If yep. the client wants detail, they need the detail. The detail outlines to them what it is they're actually getting for their money. Yes. They understand the details of the basics and their insulation and windows and all of those things, plus the structural stuff, plus the nice, pretty stuff being the kitchens and the bathrooms. They understand what it is they're getting and then they can make an informed decision between myself and another builder who's going to be best for them. Um, hopefully detail is one of, I think, one of the key um, factors of my quotes um, is the detail of the quote. So at which point there is the consumer running around looking at flooring and you know, bench tops and you know, fittings and PC yeah. items, when, when is that occurring? At that point now or, or maybe just before? Before, or? they can start to get a feel of what it is that their yep. tastes are. Do they want a $1,000 tap, a $500, or $200 tap? Yep. If they do, while they're waiting for the quote, if they're waiting on a builder or an architect or an engineer to do stuff or council, Use the downtime to go and research your products. What do you like in your tiles? Do you want yeah, different prices? Start to get a look and feel of the, of the taste that you've got, the cost of those items. They're called PC items, so anything that's bought from a store with a barcode on it and in a box and you put it in your car and take it home, that's a PC item, prime cost. And they can work on fridges, appliances, all of the tiles, all the pretty things. And they have ultimate control of the cost of those items and the bottom line of their job. I can build the structure and they don't have much choice in the structure, but the finishing is probably a third of the cost of the job, the finishing side of it, and they have a choice on low, medium or high range products and that can blow their budget. Or if they've got the budget, yeah. great, that's okay, up to them. Now, I so, that budget. Yeah, yeah, use the time to go and yeah. research it. So at that point, you can advise them on say, uh, some suppliers you deal with that you're very yeah. happy with and had good rapport with and or they can, and they, they can go and buy their own either or. That's that right. Yeah. So they can shop all over Sydney and, and do, do their own deals and buy it. Some clients ask me within the quote to allow for a PC pack. Um, so I allow for all of their appliances. They just have absolutely no idea what they're up for and they want it all included in my quote because they need it to go for the bank approval. 
So they need to go and get half a million dollars um, for a large reno and the bank needs a total cost. They don't know what it's going to cost for carpet, curtains, stairs, um, all of the all the other things. So they need an, a bulk package. Yeah, because so, quite often those loans are what we call construction loan. Yeah. So the bank's assessing it on the, the actual, what the product would be worth as a construction. As a completed project. And essentially the bank pays you know, installing payments to yep. you after you've submitted an invoice and proven that that works That's at the right. site, yeah. And yeah, so the bank will come in and see that all these products have actually gone in, but yes. they, they are releasing the money um, to the builder to cover the cost of all those items. So we typically do a PC pack and we will put down a fridge, two and a half thousand dollars oven, three. We go through and put a price to all of these regular items. I'll probably start in the middle. I'll try and get the client's idea of if they're lower, middle or upper range. And then I'll put a price pack to, together for them and include it all in the, in the costs. If after we've signed contracts, they decide they like their own fridge from another company, I'll just give them back the discount of that item. I've already priced it, it's already detailed, and they get the money back. Yeah. They go buy it themselves, get their own discount. So I've got no problems there. And then down the tra track, when the construction starts, then they start getting things delivered. I don't want clients going and buying everything before the job's even started, I'm quoting. If they want a great, if they had a sale, go buy it. But um, you want to be careful what it is you bought. Is it fit for purpose? Um, sometimes there's better ways of, you can get in-wall systems for a toilet rather than one that stands on the floor. There's different types of vanities. So I prefer to guide clients through the different choices that are out there and what to buy and install. Some things are very expensive to install. So they might have found something that's great, but it's actually really difficult to install. So I like to tell people, get an idea, yep. get some rough prices on what you want, make that sort of um, yep. sort of list of everything you wish list, but don't buy anything until we started construction. And that's something that you'd be guiding them through those processes. The so whole way through. Be, yeah, just one step at a time, slowly getting closer yep. to all the things they collected and need in the house. Yep. Um, just, I know with say knockdown rebuilds, obviously there's a couple of things that go on a little bit differently to a renovation. For example, if you're doing a knockdown rebuild and it's in the Sutherland Shire Council, there yep. is a council contribution that you pay, yes. which is 1% of your build cost. Yep. Uh, and there's also a bond that you pay, which you get back at the end of the construction. Yep. Um, now, is when someone's doing a renovation, like you said, yep. a significant renovation, is that part of that process as well? There's no, well, they may have changed the rules on contributions. Um, they, they might still, that might be inbuilt in within the fees, but it's a, it's a low cost, it's more for, for new builds. But there is a bond still for, um, renovations and it's generally covering the curb and gutters and the streets, the infrastructure out on the street side from damage of trucks and vehicles during the project. Yeah, and that's on the client to pay that directly to the to the. Uh, they the pay council. that direct yeah. as part of all their fees, but they get it back if there's yeah. no damage. And yeah. if there is damage, it, the cost of the damage is taken out. Yeah, and what's important if someone's doing a knockdown rebuild is ultimately there's a, a DA for an application on the knockdown, yes. and there's also a DA on the application of the new rebuild. There yes. are two separate ones. There's two separate ones. Yeah, and a private certifier is involved on either side, so you may use them the same certifier or two different certifiers, but You've, you've got a couple of steps there that there are some you steps need to know that's just the nature of so you can't important. you can't yeah. just press a button and have everything just magically yeah. appear you've definitely got to jump through hoops it's a it's a stressful it's a stressful part of, of um, for people what we try and do is reduce the stress there's a lot of financial impact on people there's the logistics of moving out and renting or living through if they are living in the house and there's a renovation there's the dust and the noise it's I, I try and advise clients to move out where possible because there's all of that impact yeah. if they've got little kids and they've got limited access so I'll guide clients on where, whether or not they can stay in the house or not. Um, I try and help them if they just can't afford to move out. They've just got to put up with the pain and suffering of noise if they're getting a first floor addition done above them, all that noise coming through the house. But there's, there is, um, there's the red tape suffering of going through councils, the, all the drafting, it takes time, engineers. 
but we can advise the client if they if they start with the right process we can link them from the next person to the next person just guide them the whole way along i may not even get the job but in that in initial stage i'm happy to throw out some numbers give them some advice if we get the job great if we don't i've helped them along the way but it's more that they've they've got through they haven't gone two steps forward and have to come it's, it's better to go through that i process. think that's where a lot of stress is created is that people get so far down the track and then realize there's something they didn't even know whereas i think mm -hmm. if people knew there was a list of 15 things they need to do up front yep. uh, i think that would be very helpful because they know okay these are the steps and the orders mm -hmm. i need to do things so like that's good to know and, and uh, one of the successes we've had with you of late too is that we've had um, consumers that are looking to buy a house yep. that are they do want to remodel it and update it but you know it's very easy to say oh yeah just do a renovation mm. but you know as we know there's contingencies and a whole bunch of things and you know we get asked questions all the time at, at open houses uh, you know is that oh that's structural you couldn't change it but so what's your take on when a buyer looks at a floor plan and they want to change it yep. but they're worried about whether it's structural or not uh, it's a good question. Uh, generally, then it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars to move walls. It's normally around, you know, it could be ten or twenty thousand to move a wall. It could be just, you know, a thousand dollars. It depends on the style, the style of wall it is, what's holding it up. So, they can get, they can engage myself or another builder or an engineer to pop out. Ultimately, an engineer makes the call on larger structural walls where there's steel beams and posts involved. Um, if it's just some timber framing up in the roof, quite easy to install. Once it's up in the roof, we can pull the wall out, modify the electrics patch the gyprock, patch the floor, and they've got an open space. So we do it all the time. It's not something that a lot of people are afraid of structural walls. Yes. It's just another, just another thing to do. Um, so I wouldn't um, buy or not buy a house just because a wall has to be removed. Um, I'd say get an engineer in or a builder just to provide a quote. Um, and then, and then they, get, they get the right information before they buy yeah. a house. So for buyers out there and they've seen a property and it's midway through its campaign and they're still thinking about where they should buy it, and how much money they might need to spend on changing it, and that's part yep. of the reason they want to buy it. Yep. Contacting someone like yourself to do a bit of a feasibility study on some of those ideas they may have is something yep. that you offer. We offer that. I don't know how many builders do. Most builders just say, um, no, we don't do it. I don't actually know of any who do at this stage, but I don't really get invested in what other yep. builders are doing. I just know what I do. We just do a feasibility estimate, same deal as if we're doing it for people who are getting ready for construction. I do the same feasibility for people who are looking at buying. It doesn't really matter. They're paying for my time to come out and do uh, the, the site visit, look at the structural integrity of the building. I'm not an engineer, I'm not going to so, sign off and sort of, I'm just going to say, yes, you can move that wall in my, I believe. You'd still have to get an engineer to sign off on it should you go ahead. But I believe it's doable, it's not going to cost the earth to do it. And we might give them some ideas on how that, to open up the space and create what it is that they want. So happy to provide a service for that. And then we do a costing it um, for it. And then they say, well, why are you here? Can you look at the, up we need the bathroom needs an upgrade, the deck's falling apart. And so I, I put on different costs and they can just kind of get an overall, okay, we're up for $50,000 roughly of modifications over the, but they've got time to do it. They don't have to do it straight away. They can move in and then they've got six months and have a hit list of what they want to yeah. do and know that they've got their entire budget. They've bought a house, they're financed for X amount. So they've got a bit of extra room yeah. and we know, do we get him in, do we get Craig or another builder in? Yeah for right away or do we wait six months and then and then get him in to do the work? Well, I think it's a fantastic idea. I think a lot of people who are thinking of changing a house, you know, we've worked with two clients of late and, and both times, not only do those clients take on that service that you offer, but they end up buying the house, probably because they were better educated about the house, mm. which is really important. But like what you touched on right at the start of this interview was that, you know, I mean, they don't have to do any of those things. Um, they can do them when they want. And, and uh, advice we both agree on is that 
you know, living in a home for maybe a few seasons and getting a, a feel for you know, where the breeze comes from, what it's like in different times of the year. That'll give you an idea on where light's coming from and you just get a better handle on the home and that's going to have a, a big influence on mm. you know, even maybe something that you quoted on as a possibility of moving a wall. Six months later, they realise actually that wall's quite valuable where it yep. is, so they might have a new idea. But but yep. just having that you know um, idea to start with gives them the security that what they are hoping to do is there. Yep. But then once they've lived in the home a little bit, you know, possibly changing that that a little along the way is important before they maybe go to the next step, like we talked about yeah. with the full engagement on doing a Renault. Yeah, I agree with everything there. I think I think living in the house, understanding the house is is key. If you want to just add a back deck on great, you kind of know what you're going to expect. But I think living in the house and getting a better feel for it, you, you start to get ideas. And then, and then it's, yeah, I think that's a good, a good way of doing it. Fantastic. And so when, I guess, doing something like a knockdown or rebuild yep. is a little bit different. Um, yep. Clearly that's a, you know, a bigger commitment for a lot of people. Mm. Um, there's a, what would you say, compared to the renovation process we just talked about, what would be the additional things people should be wary of if they're taking on a knockdown rebuild? Good question. So new home or knockdown rebuilds, um, are, you're going you're gonna to get a, a sort of a quicker outcome. Knockdown sh- house should be up between six and 12 months, depending on, or longer, depending on which um, company you go with. But you've still got to do the demolition cost yourself. You've got to prepare the house, the, the, the site, and the, the new home companies don't want to know about it. So you've got all these extra additional site costs to get it over the line, just to get them to come in and start construction. When it's finished, you've then got um, you've got driveways, landscaping, letterboxes, fencing to do, and you've got to add all of that into the equation. Um, it's the so variation. It's a summary of that, you've got a, a application to demolish your home that needs to go through. Mm. Um, if you do demolish your home, you're hiring a, a demo company to do that. Yep. Um, you've also got the, when part of the DA for the new dwelling. Yep. Um, you know the council wants to check all those things they do with the renovation as well, which is shadow lines on other properties. If you're breaking any setbacks, obviously you're in a DA now. Um, Some of those steps will be, when you're knocking a house down, you'll probably need to, at your own expense, supply your own fence for the demolition company, or maybe they apply it as well. Terminating services, You're gonna get rid of your electrical, that's a Cert 2 Sparky that's gonna pull that back to the pole. Um, You've got uh, gas that you need to disconnect if you've got it. Uh, Water, like you said, they tap off as well. that's just getting your house removed. And then of yep. course, if you've got any trees that are protected, the council's gonna have some rules on that. Yep. They may issue with, uh, they want a landscape plan drawn as well. So you'll need to do that maybe independently of your builder. Yep. Uh, and there's also a DA for a driveway as well. Is that right? There's a, there's yeah. a DA for no the line. driveway and the road crossing. So you've got to be able to get from the driveway out to the road and they stipulate the, the access levels so yep. that your yeah, car doesn't bottom out, which is fine. Yep. But it's uh, more, jump, more hoops you've got to jump through. And and just a lot of these things are on the, on the earnest of the, 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 the owner, the right? Owner, to do they, those the, parts. The, and new then, home, yeah. the general new, the larger new home companies don't want to touch driveways, landscaping, any of that. We do it as part of our package to try okay. and give them a whole job. We'll, uh, we'll be involved in the pool as well. So we'll help them with the pool and the paving or the decking from the house to the pool and the fencing that all connects it all. Yep. Most new home companies don't want to touch the pool as well, um, but we're, we're happy to do that. But they're all costs that kind of you, once you go for a new home, you don't want to be doing a pool later. You kind of want to, get the pool in the back first and then yeah. build forward from that. Yeah. And even all the landscaping, if you get a, a landscape plan, um, you are tied to that landscape plan. You can't change the plants. You might just accept whatever's drawn because you don't even know what the species of plants are and how much they cost and how many there are. But when you actually come to do it, you've got to follow that design to a T and 
it can, it can be ten because it's such a thing called occupation certificate to get your occupation and, certificate. And that's where someone comes out and assesses that what's been what was approved has actually occurred. Yeah, it sometimes uh, takes years right. for you to get your occupation certificate, the true occupation certificate. So. If you haven't done your driveway, you can still move into the house. You have to get an interim occupation certificate just so you can live in the house, but the entire block hasn't been finished yet. And it could take years before people have finished all of that work to get their occupation certificate. But you can't sell a house until you have your occupation certificate. You can't sell it mid-construction and you haven't got driveways. You've got to finish it all before you sell. So you, once you're in, you're in. So you've got to be careful about... Um, but you don't put that off and forget about put it. Put it off yes. and forget because you've got to sell and you don't yeah. have your occupation certificate, you can't yeah. sell. So that's, a, that's, a, that's one I've heard people um, have struggles with. But if you adhere to what's in that, that uh, plan and yep. you, you stick to all those guidelines, then when they come out, they're pretty yep. much just taking that list off and you're good to go. So not to be scared of it, but, but don't it's just, you just got to You've got to know that it's there it's and there, that there's yeah. a limitation to it. Um, the only, the only other sort of, there's pros and cons from both sides of the equation for new homes versus renovations. New homes, you've got a new slab, all new services, you know it's, it's brand new and you've designed it the way you want and away you go, but you do have the works at the start, the costs at the start to do the demolition and disconnect. You've got your finishing costs of your driveways and your fencing and all of that. But when you finish, you've, you've got you're the house that you want, yeah. but you're also gonna have spent more, you're gonna have spent more. Per square meter rate, new homes are cheaper than renovations. Renovations do cost more per square meter because we're pulling things apart, exposing structures, tying old to new, yeah. and then going out with everything. So technically, yes, they're more expensive, but you've already got 100 or 150 square meters of house at the front, and you're just adding on the back. That's right, so, so the overall cost might be less, but as a square meterage cost, it could be a bit yes, dear because so, it's a bit more fiddly. And, and that brings up an interesting question then. So we always hear this word contingency, which is that yep. extra cost that everyone's worried about and everyone yep. talks about. If you watch you know, Selling Homes Australia or anything like that, yep. or Grand Designs, there's yep. always this extra cost. So yep. how does one guess what that's worth and, and how do you get it closer so that it's more realistic? Is there, what, what, what Yeah, so I think the, the standard um, rule of thumb is between five and 10% is your contingency. I think 10% contingency is for when you've got groundworks. Um, so for reno from the renovation, renovation point of view, you've got uh, knockdown of an existing structure generally. There's some sort of knocking down to add on more. You're gonna potentially find asbestos. Everybody freaks out about asbestos. It's definitely a danger, but it's there in almost every house there is asbestos and it's safe when it's in a state that is untouched. It could be under concrete slabs, it could be on the walls, it's safe, but it's only when it's being removed, it becomes unstable. And you just get a, a certified, qualified um, subcontractor to come in and deal with it. We deal with it, we get our contractors in for all of our jobs, it's a few days and it's gone. So it doesn't, it's not tens of thousands of dollars to remove asbestos. Everybody's worried about it because it, there's a, it's, it's definitely out in the media about asbestos, but it can be dealt with relatively cheaply and quickly. And if it's, it's done right the first time. And it's done just done yeah. right. So we, we, we might pull some walls down and we find it. We call our guy, yeah. he comes in and sorts it out within, within seven to 10 days. It's gone, it's not, you know, it's a few thousand dollars and we're done and we're moving on. But the contingencies come into it because that's one thing we might find. It may not be visible when we look for the walls, but we find it. We also find um, asbestos under the ground 
under old concrete slabs and paths and, and in the dirt. Where maybe and the builder of that home back then just buried the Back in the, the 50s, 60s, content. they just buried everything and it doesn't yeah. matter. It's somebody else's problem. Now it's my problem. And so um, there's a cost to that. And because we have with to, a, a new build, there's got to be a certificate to say the site's clear. I've got to make too. sure it's all yeah. clean and clear and done. If a neighbour looks in and sees me not doing something properly with it, yeah. I get stung for it. So I've got to be above board and have it all done properly. Um, I can't send it to the tip. The tip will, will, will uh, say no and they, they ban that, um, that delivery. So we have to send it. There's all the appropriate processes to remove it. So that's where contingencies will come in for asbestos. And that's groundworks is one that are we going to hit rock? Are we going to hit clay? Are we going to hit asbestos things underneath the ground? And I think so that's one of the bigger yeah. sort of cost items for both new homes and renovations where there's groundworks involved. And there's a good point there. I think a lot of people might think they can save money by <coughs> undoing the house a bit themselves, but there's hidden you know, traps as well. For example, you know, asbestos can be in things that people don't know. They look for yep. fibro, yep. but you know, it can be in other places within the home as well. So yeah. just simply getting in and pulling stuff out, you may be exposing yourself to things that you didn't realise were asbestos yep. because they don't look like it. But yep. ultimately having a professional in there to undo the home safely and properly yep. is probably the most recommended method yeah. by I, far. Yeah, I, I generally um, steer people away from pulling anything out other than if they want to pull curtains off and carpet yep. up and maybe a, a, an old deck. But yeah. don't, don't touch my cells from there. Yep. Get somebody in who, who knows what they're doing. Um, so there, there's some of the, the contingencies, the, the hazards that we would find. The other hazards we may find is wood rot. Um, in walls that have been over time uh, under the ground, moisture's got into them, water, whatever it may be, or roof um, or behind bathroom walls. Generally, they're not a massive cost. They're just a wall's been sort of taken out by water and we've got to get in there and fix it, um, but it's uncovered and we've got to deal with it when we see it. And there's also termites. You might find that houses have been nibbled at over, over decades um, at different times, or you might have full infestation um, and if it's just a nibble at, we can fix the walls. There might be some walls that have had some serious um, sort of work. So you might have a structural beam that looks like it's degraded based on the attack that it's had. So yep. clearly when you discover it because you've ripped the roof off or something, that's mm. when you're going to talk about, well, we need to replace this, yep. which wasn't part of the quote, hence it's part of the contingency. It's, yep. Yeah, it's a contingency. But again, it's not going to be a $50,000 hit generally. Yep. It's just going to be a couple of walls or a beam or some floors. It's a, a, a good couple of thousand dollars generally, um, but it's not going to be uh, normally a whole house seat now. It's very rare to find that extent. So um, contingencies are good, I think, for those sorts of unknown costs that we cannot see at the time of construction. Even your building and pest inspection won't find it sometimes. Um, so we do uncover them. So that would be one um, sort of contingency. The other contingency is the client's choice almost along the way. Uh, why are you here? Could you put a fireplace in? Or can you upgrade the timber deck from a treated pine deck to a hardwood deck? Or can we go from a kitchen with a laminate bench top to a stone bench top? Those sorts of variations through a job um, add on things that the client sort of upgrades yep. is the other is and the other item of contingency. I imagine that would be quite a popular thing because when people are standing in a space, they have a different idea of well, actually now I'm standing in the space, I feel yep. different about it, I'd like it slightly different. Yeah. Or I've seen something that's trending now that's new that trending I didn't know about the, because yep. you know two years ago when we started this process or yep. six months ago. Yep. It wasn't really a forefront of my mind, but now it's a thing in front of me. And yeah, definitely when people are at the shops, they're starting to select things and they realise, oh, wow, I could actually have this type of door or that type of pendant light. It starts to put it. So you do want to have some um, some wiggle room for for going those extra items that you want to have, but you do have to have a contingency for things that you don't want to have happen, but it has to happen, which is your structural repairs, um, your, your groundworks, your asbestos removal. Those are the ones you can't really, and you're just burying the money back in behind a wall. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of it. 
that um, they have to be done. Sometimes it's sewer upgrades and stormwater upgrades as well. Old pipes um, for renovation purposes for sewer and stormwater, they can be affected over time by tree roots or they've fallen apart. So there are ongoing costs that you might find for a renovation. Um, new homes, you will deal with the majority of the service costs, but you're in for more to begin with. So you've got your half million dollar new home build and then you've got your all your peripheral works front and back of that. So it, you know, new homes can go anywhere from 300 absolute baseline of house and you've got one PowerPoint, one light per room and the absolute bare minimum. Most general um, decent houses that have been fitted out are anywhere from four to five, even 600,000. And then you add on additions and extras and variations landscaping, there. Yeah. Land, then you've got your landscaping. Yeah. So you're in for a lot more in one go that you can't get out of. Renovations I find is more common for me for, for the work that I'm asked for, where they can do maybe a three or $400,000 renovation and tack on bits down the track when their budget suits. And it seems to be a bit more palatable for people to be able to handle while they've got young families or wherever they are at their stage of life. Fantastic. So Craig, I guess um, as a bit of a summary of today, and uh, is there probably like an, a couple of key points out of this that you'd say, look, first and foremost, if people take that away with them, they're, they're probably in front. You got any key points that you could key points. I think contact a builder to begin with for a rough estimate, just a rough yep. estimate rough and estimate. on, on some, yep. some sort of a concept drawing, a, a rough sketch, something that they, they would like to have and just get a rough feel what it is they're up for before they go through plans, councils, engineers and realise it's going to be above their budget. That's one of the big ones that um, people are afraid of. The second one that um, I would say is when you, you have to allow for time to go through all of the red tape being DA or CDC for your plans and approvals, engineers costs, time for builders to quote. It can be a year. Mm. A year can go from the time you've had an idea to the time you start construction can be a year and more. And so that's you've got why quoting after the plans have been submitted is more accurate because obviously there could be price rises and... There's price, yeah, yeah until, until I've got the stamp plans, it's hard mm -hmm. to quote. So yeah, once I've got sense. that, and then it takes time for me to quote it and get actual realistic today prices for that particular item. Don't call me two years ago for if I've got a key, a, a quote from two years ago and then they call me up and say, I actually want to go ahead. I can't. I've well, got that's a good point. It. Before we go today, there's also that lead time. A lot of builders are booked out quite well in advance because, mm. you know, each project does take many months to months. complete. So, you know, there's only so many you can do at once, I would imagine. So. Yeah, I'm not going to build my team to 100 employees just so I can service everybody. I don't want to be a big company. I'm, I'm just comfortable with the size team I've got. We provide a quality job for the clients and I want to manage that and not be too big. So as long as you've got a, a decent quote to start with, you can use my quote as a reference point for costings and, and details. So you, if you do, if I'm busy and I just can't fit you in this calendar year and it has to be next and you can't wait, then at least you can use mine as a sounding board for somebody else's. That's fine, I, I don't mind. As long as they get what they need and what they want for their budget, if I lose a job, I lose a job. It's not, I'm not gonna try and squeeze them in and, and affect everybody. So they have to allow time for builders to be available and especially don't call before Christmas asking for a, a deck and pergola. And um, I guess, how, just maybe to, to sum this up, how, how does one in the end choose a builder? I mean, most people get a couple of quotes, that kind of thing, but if you're sitting there, how do you, how do you know which builder to choose? Is it, is it just yeah. the cheapest price, the highest price? I mean, well, what would your, your read on helping people make that decision? Mm. Price is a factor. Obviously, everybody always comes down to numbers, but um, I, think, I think if there's a couple of prices within a ballpark of one another, I think it needs to come down to the personal relationship between the builder and the client. If you don't get on, if you don't feel like you've got um, the room to be able to ask questions, the, the 
trust that the builder is going to give you what you need um, and try and look out for, for your costs. Mm. I, think, I think that. So I try and look at it from their point of view. How much is it going to cost them? That's a big ticket item. If I can find a saving for them, I'll try and advise different ways of making a saving so that they're not blowing all their money on a particular thing. So I try and be cost prohibitive. Um, I try to you know, have their trust from the start. And I think that's one of the major factors other than the cost of the build. And then thirdly, so there's three main things, the cost, trust, and detail in the quote. The quote should be detailed. And if you're gonna compare different builders, you need to see how they're written, what's involved, what's included, excluded. Everybody's gonna have slightly different write-ups of how they do it. Um, but they can always, you know, if they've got another quote and they, they're not sure what to do, obviously they can ask a friend or a lawyer or somebody they can ask, or they can ask me and I can say, well, I've included this, they've excluded that, I've excluded this, they've included that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to their final judgment. But hopefully my quotes and, and most builders out there, hopefully they're doing detailed quotes so that it's not so much sort of unknown. You can see what's there and then you can make your yeah. call. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we hadn't spoken about till now is that uh, when people build, there's obviously different zoning within, say, a, a shire or the council or something like that. Yep. And each each block will fit into that. Now, one of them can have an effect on what they build, but as a topic, one specific thing could be a bushfire zone, as an example. Um, how does a and a bushfire zone has a bow rating, yep. and that rating has different numbers. Yep. How does that affect a renovation? So the renovation gets affected by the materials used around the external parts of the house to protect it from a bushfire event. So the bow rating is for um, bushfire attack level and there's uh, a couple of different levels. There's 12.5, 19, 29, 40 and then flame zone or FZ. So the higher the number, the more serious it is, obviously. Yes. And uh, they're able to find that out with a contractor sale as to where that property fits into, I guess, when they do their own due diligence on the home. But yep. once they've bought that home, they're doing that renovation, you'll know that zone that it's in or the bow rating that it has. The zone gets affected by, that. it eventually gets determined by a bushfire consultant. So if anybody goes to do a renovation, they have to go through a bushfire consultant, RFS. So the plans get diverted off to the RFS, they assess it and they may on send it to a bushfire consultant, but generally the architect or the draftsman at the time will be able to do some figures and work out roughly where this property sits in relation to a bushfire um, sort of source point. And then they can do the numbers and work out if it's a 29 or a 40. They might try and go for the 29 just because it's a lower cost point and submit it. But if the council goes through to the um, RFS, if they determine that it needs to be reviewed, they might ask you to get a bushfire consultant in to determine if it's a 40. And that then makes a, an impact on the materials that are used. So by the time they're engaging a builder, obviously you'll know what zone it's in and you'll know what materials you can and can't use. And yep. as an example, if it was in a zone of certain um, bow ratings, you know, maybe like a pine deck that would yep. be easily flammable, yep. might not be allowed to use and they might have to use a different material. Correct, yes. Yeah. So it changes the materials, that, uh, different ratings. You can still use timber decks in the lower ratings, but you may just have to put some gutter gut in to stop uh, you know, the gutters building it with leaves, which could start a fire if you're a couple of streets back and there's an ember attack from a fire and it could start, your house is well, well away from the fire at the front itself but the embers start a fire in the gutters, so you've got gutter guard that can protect you. You've got um, sliding doors and windows that have aluminium mesh rather than fiberglass mesh, and they're non-combustible, so that's the lower end, and you don't have to worry too much. As you start getting towards the 29 and 40s, 
you are going to have to start removing the amount of timber that you've got on your construction, whatever's been approved. Um, and sometimes it goes from being a timber deck to a hardwood species. There are timber species that can comply. They're, they can withstand a higher grade of, of heat before they ignite. So there is an approved list of hardwood timber. But once you get to about 40, pretty much all bets off for anything timber related outside the house. There's more steels and concretes. More steel, more concrete, more composite um, yeah. products. There's and internally though, no, no real restrictions? No there. changes inside, everything's, as they just uh, care about how's the fire going to get into the premises and, and kick it off. Oh, yeah. So they, a bow flame zone is the worst. That's where your cost point goes up exponentially. So anywhere from uh, 12.5 to 40 is, is generally, it could be a 5 or 10% jump in price. But when you get to flame zone, you're adding about, about 25% onto the construction because you've got a a lot more restrictions because you're basically right next to the the bushfire source and we're currently doing a, a flame zone property down in Janelli and there is uh, quite a bit on it so you have to be prepared for the additional costs that are going to be incurred. So one of the other things we talk about a lot in real estate is when people are looking at buying a home clearly they're going to change that home uh, now there's uh, obviously money they want to spend on changing it doing the renovation and that's when that renovation comes into play where would you see the maximum you know return on investment really creeps into people changing a house I think the biggest thing that they need to, to look at would be the kitchen dining rumpus and sort of TV area the, the open plan living and the flow through to the deck and the outside that connection in Australia we, we love being outdoors whether it be the backyard the pool the kids it needs to be a really good flow through and having having the parents be able to be in the kitchen area and be able to see out see what's going on and, and have that connection to the outdoors I think is the biggest factor um, and big big sliding doors bifold doors open space lots of light skylights highlight windows um, and just an open feel I think that gives the most wow factor when you when you come home and, and you have people over it just gives you that that sort of sense you don't get that out of bedrooms nobody goes into bedrooms other than the people who live in the house it's it's not a focal point when people come over and you've just got that entertaining space that's where it's all at so I think that's the best money for, for value to when you're when you're doing a larger renovation so. and we see that with with real estate I mean clearly floor plans do sell houses yeah, people can swap kitchens in and out, but when you've got to amend the floor plan, this cost can go up and yep. consequently it can have an effect. But I think too, I think if people are putting money into a home and engaging services like yourself, one of the things I say to people all the time is that if you can take a product that's at a certain level, just updating what's in it will increase the value, but it was at an expense. So you're probably really only neutral if, luck, if you're lucky. Yep. But if you can amend the floor plan to make it more modern, so yep. it does have that flow that you talked about, well, then you've really taken it from maybe a weaker category that the home was in and into yep. a stronger category with yep. you know, slightly more expense, but the, the, the return on investment's much stronger. Yep. And the Australian lifestyle is that very much. People do want that flow. And you know, the kitchen, for example, is the heart of every home, but at the same time, doesn't mean it's in the middle of the house because ultimately flowing out in the outdoor entertaining, we do a lot of indoor outdoor entertaining with our lifestyles. And if you're going to put a pool in there, being able to spot that pool from the kitchen is a really powerful, yep. you know, floor plan as well. And like you said, bedrooms can be in a yeah, more private part of the house as well. So that flow from street through to the backyard, yep. kitchen there to service those areas when needed, outdoor kitchens, and then that backyard that's, you know, servicing that space with pools, you know, in eye shot. Yep. Uh, that's a very strong, strong trend and uh, I don't think it'll die anytime soon. So. 
Craig, that's been great today. So thank you for your time. It's been no amazing. Um, for more information on what Craig offers, you got a very detailed website with some step-by-step -step guides and how-tos, yep. uh, even some cost analysis and little tools that people can tap into. Is that right? Yeah, so we, we advise how you can uh, make contact, uh, initiate the feasibility estimate, and we can make contact and, and put that in place and get that ball rolling. And then we can guide you through step-by-step -step on how to, to get from, from concept through to construction. And, uh, and all the steps in between. Fantastic. So, Craig, thanks for your time today. More information on Craig's website. We see your signs everywhere. You're obviously doing a fantastic job. So thank you very much for being on the Thank show. You. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks.